0: Della! Funny Della! Running amidst the trees! Who's there? I said as I stood in my head, and nobody answered me.
1: This is Bruce. This is Blix. And this is Trav. Welcome again to the Fringeworthy Podcast. Thank you for joining us this week and hopefully every week as we explore the multitudinal universes and the worlds they're in. that could be just like ours or they could be completely different. This week, we're continuing our survey into exploring in the past, where we go to near-Earth-type worlds that seem to be in the past, but they're actually uh, only time-shifted. They're still in the present, but their time started later than ours did, so it's only the 14th century there, Uh, but it's the 21st century in the Earth-prime world, which provides a lot of interesting opportunities for people for uh, high-technology worlds to go and explore low-technology worlds. Tonight, we have with us our guest host, Trav, and also Blix. And Blix is going to give us the lowdown on Japan in the 5th through the 11th centuries.
2: Yeah, that's right. This is a time period that I wasn't completely familiar with until I started doing research. And I'm sure a lot of people aren't. You know, most people, when they think of you know ancient Japan, they think of samurais and ninjas and, you know, katanas and such. But um, as it turns out, a lot of that stuff wasn't prevalent at that time hadn't come about yet. What most people remember of Japan is feudal Japan, which doesn't start until the twelfth century. So that's right at the very end of what we're talking about. So I'm not gonna spend any time talking about that. This is everything leading up to that, which is it's kinda funny that this time period is everything right up to that when it comes to Japan's. So around five hundred AD is when Japan is going through some real reform. It's becoming like a real nation prior to that time it was in a period where they were just coming out of just agricultural tribes that weren't really formed like a big government. But by the time 500 rolls around, you've got an emperor of Japan, you've got some real culture going on, you've got city, cities developing. This is a good time for people to adventure here and, and see Japan because you've actually got a social structure, not these just little individual tribes or, or villages. Villages do exist, but there is a city structure, there's a political structure, there are laws. In this period of time, China's influencing Japan heavily. They're getting a lot of their culture from China. They're, that's where they're getting a lot of their laws, You know, their organization, their, their warlike abilities. Samurais are starting to appear, but not the samurais that you will recognize. It's mainly warriors because the Samurais from feudal Japan are more like your knights, these highly trained, highly sophisticated warriors. But they're not there just yet. What you're going to see is you're going to see Chinese-like armor. You're going to see long swords, like your traditional Chinese long swords. So they're, you know, they're sharp on both sides. Uh, they're not made from that folded steel, so they're not as strong. They're not curved. The warriors are riding around on horses at this point, and they do have archers. Your fringe-worthy team arrives in, you know, this period of Japan, how are they going to get along? Well, it's going to be difficult because you have two things working against you. First, unless you're playing a party of Japanese people, you're not going to look right. They're trading with China, with, well, the area that that will become Vietnam, with Korea, all Asian areas. I think they have some dealings with India, but it's limited.
1: Hey, Blix. You mentioned that if they, unless you were Japanese, you wouldn't look right. But uh, I mean, the modern Japanese today—they wouldn't look like the Japanese back then either. They'd be, first of all, at least a foot taller, wouldn't they?
2: Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, that's that's true. That's true. That right, you know, right.
1: Nutrition and whatnot. Yeah, medicine. It,
2: it, exactly. So right. So even if you're playing a party of Japanese, I don't like using the word Oriental because some people take offense to it, and I don't like using the word Asian because you know there are Russians that are Asian, there are Persians that are Asian. It's it's a you know. It's a difficult thing, so you're not going to be of the oriental descent or or, or of that look of the orient. And even if you are, again, you're right. Your your guys are going to be bigger and taller, better teeth, better hygiene, and it's going to be tough to fit in. I'm thinking that the best way to do this is you either a you you make it more of an alternate where during this time period the Japanese are trading outside of that part of the world like perhaps some of the Europeans have come over or maybe you know had a a lot of trade with the northern part of Russia above Mongolia if Russia's even that developed at that point uh, Bruce I think you're going to be doing Russia so um, just just right now because I'm talking about that is Russia do they have trade and stuff at this point.
1: In the uh, 5th and 6th century, they're nothing more than a collection of, of small villages. They don't even have an identity other than a family name. They, they're not trading with anybody except each other.
2: So we're talking about uh, it would have to be somewhat of an alternate where you know the Europeans have established some kind of trade with them so that you fit in better. Or two, you take the assumption that your guys show up, they're well-educated, and you provide the party with the opportunity to negotiate with whatever – you know, soldiers or that they, they interact with because they're going to speak the language, which will be interesting to them. Um, a good backstory, you know, might be that you have been there before and traded with some other people, and they sent you up this way. So that maybe if you have a historian, a Japanese historian, he can say, "Yeah, we traded with such and such family," and they would say, "Oh, okay. Well, if you know them, then you know we'll take you to our family leader or something to that to that effect." And just to make the adventure go, you probably want to. Uh, make that happen. you know. Just, just assume that they're okay with that as long as the party doesn't screw up.
1: So it would be a good idea before you go to just research some, some big, powerful families, family lines, because you could just simply say, I'm so-and-so's second cousin, and just the fact that you know their name might be enough to be provide an introduction.
2: Right, or if you have, say you have somebody uh, in the party who is Japanese, he could say that he, you're friends of his from overseas, and he could say he's part of that family and then that would probably be enough because you got to remember you guys are speaking the language very well so uh, yes. it's you're not going to seem that outside they're going to say oh well they they must be from around here they speak our language so well so they're going to assume that you know that you belong even if it seems weird even if that is slightly unrealistic for the adventure's sake That's probably the best way to go, you know, it's probably a good way to handle it. Unless, of course, you you want the adventure to be the party showing up and having to fight their way out of there. Because most countries, especially countries in that area, are not real good with foreigners too often. They don't have too much of of a good track record with being kind to foreigners who happen to show up on their shores.
1: It's really something that the GM has to decide. I think that most GMs, unless they're history buffs, aren't going to want to do the amount of research necessary to be really authentic. So there's going to be some amount of hand-waving required. I think if you can get the flavor of the time, give them something to do that seems authentic to the time in which they're exploring, that's really going to be satisfying to the players.
2: I was reading somewhere there was Portuguese who, who land there. The Japanese attacked them, and I'm not sure what year this is. I think it's a little bit – probably either very late into this period or, or a little bit later. But just, just to give you an idea of, of how uh, interactions with Europeans went, they landed. They were only respected because they mowed down the people coming at them with guns, and they offered to trade them firearms. So they brought them in and were actually discussing you know, with them. So – You know, unless your party is willing to show up and, you know, mow down a few hundred people and then go, hey, look what we got. We'll trade these with you. It's probably better to go the other direction.
1: A lot of history is that way. We kicked your butt. Now let's talk. That's not the IEDET way. So it's going to be a real uphill problem for most explorers. unless they come up with some really good non-lethal type devices that they can use to, to knock out people or you know, incapacitate them in some way to you know show your superiority without actually having to long-term hurt people.
0: Their culture is based on honor in battle. I would think that Bushido, the Way of the Warrior, probably was started by then, since you said the concept of the samurai was just forming. yes. So they would see honor in battle and see how... These people fight with these strange weapons and possibly even their own hand-to-hand skills, and it might impress them enough that might be a, an inroad.
1: What I would do, uh, I would take my weapon and I would attach a really good electrical generator to it so that you know any touch with my sword is going to really you know, crank the other guy <laughs> with an electrical right. shock. Just a touch and you knock them out, you're still hitting them with a sword. You're still fulfilling the honorable striking. Of course, you have to hope that that guy isn't so good that he can just take your head off with a single blow. Yeah. 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 But just, sometimes you got to take those chances.
2: Yeah, you know, um, you were saying about Bushido, and I was talking about Samurai. Now, again, the samurai from this period, it's not until almost 1200 that the samurai we know of come into existence. They they call them samurai before then, but they're really like sort of the beginnings of it. Bushido doesn't start until around the the 1200s as well. However, it did take over. It was widely accepted, so it's probably safe to assume that those concepts were already somewhat in play. Buddhism was coming into play already. Buddhism was coming into play around 500. So. That mindset of Bushido comes out of Buddhism in a weird kind of way, because Buddhism is really kind of about peace. And, you know, you're probably right in assuming that they're going to have a sense of honor. And this stuff's coming out of China. China has long since with their martial arts of, of doing battle with honor. So it's not unlikely that that's the way it would be. Another thing that's interesting is is that during this time period, the emperors really held power. It's not until f- around the feudal time in Japan, where the emperor becomes more of a figurehead and the warlords really rule everything. During this period, the, the emperors have a lot of you know have a lot of power.
1: You're listening to the Fringeworthy Podcast.
2: Okay, Carol. Now you take these notes, and then we're about ready to begin. Okay, sure. Well... What are you two doing
0: here? We don't record until tomorrow.
2: We're making a new promo for All Games Considered, since you were dragging your feet getting one written. Hey, she's right, though. It's been too long, and a lot has happened since the last promo. Yeah, like winning the gold any for best gaming podcast for 2009. You mean the one
1: you try to work into the conversation every other episode? Hey,
2: now, now, there's more than that. There's the new format.
1: You mean the main show every two weeks and the assortment of other features in the meantime?
2: Right, like games you may never have heard of, the review and new shows. Don't forget the RPG buffet. And on the
1: main show, we have more time to focus on gaming topics.
2: Like board and card games. And RPGs.
1: And the people who play them from the old school to the newest of the new. But But no no changeling. changeling. Hey! Find out more at agcpodcast.info. All games considered, because there's more than one true way to play.
2: There's a real explosion right in the middle of this around seven fifty, where there's art and poetry and literature and music. This is like a um like a golden age for Japan. So it might be interesting to be in, you know, in that time, especially if you have members in your group who are artistic or maybe you got a character who he was a writer or a poet before he be found out he was French-worthy, and he might have this skill of poetry that he's never used because that's just the way the game goes, you know, a lot of times. You know, he's, he's more relying on his gun skill than his poetry skill. But this could be, you know, an incident or, or a time where this would really flourish. You know, they might be interested in this foreign poetry or music skill or, you know, painting or drawing or any of that stuff because, you know, Japan is, is discovering the arts during this times. So that could be a good inroad.
0: Also, they had their games. There was the Japanese game of Go, which it's not quite like chess but also bringing new games it would be something to teach them to show hey we have these things from our culture that we can show you
2: right hey you could show them chess they'd probably dig that you say hey you you know this is like your game go but but look at this so that would be something that would be very interesting to them like again like i'm saying that you know they're they're really becoming enriched in this this period of time so you know, you don't have to just think of this period as being getting into the whole samurai type stuff. You know, and and being a part of that, you could be, you could run an adventure that's you know completely skirts that, or, or skirts it for the most part, and then you know breaks out into all hell at some point. We were talking before about you know samurais and stuff, but ninjas were running rampant throughout this period as well because you had a lot of clans and stuff so there was a lot of political stuff going you know political system is, is really getting ingrained uh, a centralized political system and whenever you have that you know you, you have your people being assassinated and and that's where the ninja would come in you know heavily of course the history of ninja is tough because you know it's a secret society so it's it, it's very difficult to get any real hardcore history on this but I think it's pretty safe to assume that most of the stuff that they did, you know, even in the pe- the feudal period or what they're credited for in the feudal period, they were probably doing a lot of that beforehand—poisons and assassinations and stealth, stealth and and uh, infiltration—and don't always think of the, the ninja as assassins. You know, I mean, there, there were all kinds of ninjas, like a million different kinds of ninja. If you, ninjas is a broad term, you know, they're an infiltration agent for the most part. They weren't yeah, always assassins,
0: stealth and spy. Right? Yeah.
2: Sometimes they were sent in to, to just spy, you know, and sometimes they were sent in, they might have gone into an area and set a building on fire to burn down the records, just to, to cancel some records on some on land deeds or something like that. You know, a ninja could, do, could be sent in for any of that kind of stuff. He's a black ops agent, basically.
0: That would be a neat battle to run, a fight. Have, however you do the stats of ninja against someone trained in 21st century combat. That in and of itself, for whatever reason, the two factions end up fighting. That would be a neat battle. The GM, the ninja, and then you have the players as these modern-day fighters, whatever they may do, and just that would just be fun to see.
2: Right. (laughs) And and you know, a lot of people try to stick, you know, all this magical stuff on the ninja and everything like that. And, and, you know, if you want to put that in your game or you, you know, let's say you personally prescribe to these mystical abilities that ninja had, you know, that, that's fine. At the same time, it, if you want to look at the ninja in a really, like, a really realistic light, they generally didn't take on fighters in hand-to-hand combat no, straight they, up.
0: No, no, yeah. they were not frontline combatants. They only no. fought to basically get out of a the battle. Then they'd throw down the smoke grenade and disappear. Right. But- even without any FX powers from the D twenty modern system, you could just jack them up with skills and feats and still they would just be formidable as all get out.
2: But my point is that they don't have to be. You know, they could be very good at stealth and, you know, good at say infiltration, but you know, not even be that great with a knife or a sword or whatever. If you attack from stealth and you stab somebody in the back or slit their throat in their sleep, you know, you don't have to be a great combatant for that. You don't right. have to be you don't have to be kick ass for that.
1: Like in the D20 terms, they're not going to be heroic. They're just going to be normal people, so they're only going to have a few hit points. And so if you attack them uh, completely unawares, you're going to get a crit, you're going to get the, the, the maximum damage, and you take them out. Yeah, right? the, the skills and feats
0: that they're going to have are going to be ones that are going to be designed to be stealthy, and they're going to have extra little feats that will help them sneak around. Stealthy would be the first one right off the bat, the plus two to hide, blue right.
1: Bluff also just to say, hey, I'm so-and-so. And they're like, oh, okay. Right. And then you don't think twice about you. One of the most common things that they talk about in, in espionage is if you want to go into an area and be invisible, be someone who's like in the service industry. you know, Somebody who no one thinks about. They're just there as, as like wallpaper.
0: I heard that ninja nine times out of ten, that was a secret identity. they had their life that they had that everyone knew them as and then secretly they were trained in ninjutsu and the martial art accompanying that taijutsu that was right. a secret life for them. They had their regular identity that they were born with and that they did on a daily basis. So when you went on the job,
1: you know you didn't have to you know dress in black and walk around looking like looking like this <laughs> right. strange you know ninja character. I mean, more often than not, you're going to be this guy wearing a straw hat and a dopey look on his face, who's you know carrying a pot of poop from some stall from from one place to another, and no one's going to think twice about him because he looks like every other you know peasant bum are, uh, on the plantation.
2: Yeah. Right. I actually, I think a lot of times, you know, it would benefit the ninja to be dressed as a bum, as a street urchin, or something like that, because most people ignore them. They don't. They don't even want to look at them. They look away from them.
1: Exactly. Not only bums, but beggars, people that are missing limbs. You know, people avert mm-hmm. their eyes from people with have you know bad disfiguring scars and stuff. So those disguise skills and things like that can really help you. You can hide in plain sight, is what I'm trying to say. Thank you again for joining us for the Fringeworthy podcast. And we will continue our survey of the ancient world, but until then, this is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million, million worlds out there, so go explore them.
2: And this is Blix. Remember, bullets speak louder than words.
1: And this is Trav.
0: There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. (laughs) I'm in the middle, I'm United States license. No commercial distribution or derivative works are allowed. You must fully attribute this work to Tritac Games. This podcast is solely the property of Trit Games Incorporated.